And Abraham was an old man and his wife was old. The Bible says there's way past the time of childbearing. But God gave Abraham a dream. God gave him an assignment. God gave him a purpose. God gave him a promise. And um, it seemed or appeared that it would be absolutely impossible for that to, this promise to come to pass, this dream to come to pass, because it was a promise that had to do with something about him. And because he was an older man and his wife passed the time of childbearing, God said, I'm going to give you a son and he's going to be the promise that, that I'm going to have for the whole world. And he's going to be a type and shadow of my son to come. Actually, that's not what he said, but that's exactly what he was. Isaac would become that. And, um, and you're going to need me to fulfill it because your wife can't do this on her own. It's impossible. She's past that time of her age. She was, nine, she was close to 90 years of age. And, um, but I'm going to do a miracle. And so I'm not asking you to do any more than you can do. You're going to have to do the job of, well, amen. You're going to have to do your job. But um, I'm asking you to believe me for it. And the Bible says that, that he did. He believed. His wife kind of chuckled a little bit at first, but she began to believe as well. But the issue was it didn't happen in six months. And I think a lot of people have been given dreams from God and because it didn't happen right away, we sort of think that it's never going to happen at all. Or maybe we missed God or we didn't hear God. Or maybe we've done something that has upset the Lord. And that's the reason why it's not come to pass or my sin or whatever. Condemnation comes in. And, and, and it has nothing to do with that. If God ever makes a promise, he will fulfill it. He just requires us to believe it. And so, in fact, that's exactly what happened. And, and um and so the Bible doesn't say how many years, but the theologians believe it's up to 17 years later would be the, the time that Sarah would conceive. So to make matters worse, she's even much older than when the promise or the dream was given at the first place. And the day came and she was pregnant and she gave birth to a son named Isaac. Isaac simply means my little laughter because she laughed. When, when she heard that God had said that she would be impregnated. And so he became the ultimate promise of a dream coming to pass. And then one day, the Bible does not give the age of Isaac, but we know he was, he's called Lad, and Lads could be up to the age of 30, actually. I don't know if you're aware of that or not, but in those days, uh, a lad could be up to the age of 30. You know, Jesus was 30 when he started his ministry. And um, so he was considered young. And the Lord said, I want you to take Isaac, your only son, and I want you to go worship me on Mount Moriah like you've done every single year. But this time, I want you to offer Isaac as an offering. Remember, Isaac's a type and shadow of Jesus, who is the ultimate dream of God. For without Jesus, without the shedding of blood, there could be no remission of sin. And without the remission of sin, there can be no forgiveness, and therefore no one can go to heaven. So the ultimate dream and desire of God was, in fact, Jesus. And so Isaac was many, 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 many years before that as a type and a shadow. Just follow me for just a moment. And so he says, he says to, um, 
God says to him, just offer him there to me. And so they saddled up their donkeys and their horses and they went with their servants and they said, we're going to go to Mount Moriah to worship. And this was not, this was not something that, that would be a surprise to Isaac, except that when they got there, he said, Father, we have the fire for burnt offering. We have the bindings to bind up an offering. Uh, but where is the sacrifice? And he says, son, you're going to be the sacrifice. We don't know anything recorded about what Isaac said after that, but we see the willing obedience of Isaac, the dream. And so he goes and takes him up onto Mount, uh, Mount Moriah, and there he binds his son. Now, you have to understand, this is not just his son, this is everything. Everything God promised. This is the dream that, that was placed inside of Abraham and his wife, Sarah, that was going to outlive them, would be their future legacy. And legacy is always important. It's important now, but it's especially important then. The world was so much smaller then. And so, but by faith, the Bible says, Abraham offered Isaac, placed him on the altar, bound him up. He takes his knife to have to kill his son. The ultimate dream killer. Sometimes, well, I'll get to that in just a little bit, but sometimes it feels like we're the one killing our dream quicker than anyone else. And, and so he goes to plunge it into the chest of his son. You can't imagine the horror, the terror, the anguish he must have felt, but I must be obedient to what God says. And though he slain, remember he said these words to his servant, we go yonder to worship, but I and the lad shall return. Believing God to the last second, I don't want to do this. Why do I have to do this? And yet it looks like his dream is going to end. And just then, his walk of faith, his strength to obey God no matter what it looks like. An angel appears and says, the Lord has seen today. And I want you to look over there. And over there is a ram caught by its horns in the thicket. That shall be your sacrifice for your son. And of course, oh, happy days. And the dream was able to live. Somebody say amen. The title of my message this morning is, Can Your Dream live. Father, today we honor you. The worship and praise has gone up before you, Lord God, as a sweet-smelling savor. Those that are watching us online, Lord God, are participating as well. And we know that many are gone and they're here and there, but they'll catch it, Lord God. And this will be an incredible uh, time for them as well. And now we ask you to anoint the word, Lord God, as you have given it to me, to encourage your people, I pray. And I already declare, yes! Their dream can live. Somebody shout amen. Give the Lord a shout of praise. Hallelujah. I want us to look at Romans chapter 4, verse 17. It's great to be back in the house of God preaching. Uh, thank you so very much for your patience. And men, we've, but we've been taken care of. God has had a lot of word come from this pulpit. Um, Romans chapter 4, verse 17 says, As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. Okay? Again, he's talking about Father Abraham and the promise that was given to him through Isaac. In the presence of, of him whom he believed. Watch this. This gives you a 
one of the characteristics of God. God, who gives life to the dead, watch this, by the way, he gives life to the dead, so even if you feel like your dream is dead, God can give life to it, amen, and calls those things, God calls things, those things which do not exist as though they did. This is so good. When I start, I start studying this stuff, I start getting fired up myself. So he says something very specific. He says, God calls those things. Okay? So the first thing that we've got to learn to do is we've got to learn to call for it. We've got to learn to call for it. And you can't call for something that has no name. So if you're vague about the dream that God has given you, which by the way, God gave it to you in full color. You know, he does that. When he gives it to you, you got to, oh my God, it's so big, it's so big. I don't know if I can do this. And our mind begins to talk us out of what we're seeing, but we saw it. And we capture, or we got a word in our spirit, and we just know what God is saying. And so that becomes and produces a vision in our heart and our mind. And so now then, you've got to learn to, number one, call for it. But you can't call for it until you name it. Everybody say, name it and claim it. Say, name it and claim it. So once you name it, now you've got something you can call. It's hard for me to call for Amos if I don't know his name. You serve there at me, you know, and the guy behind him goes, me, no, that nobody knows what I'm, what I'm talking about. But if I say, Amos, come, Amos will come. Amen. Same thing with your dream. Once you name your dream, you've identified it, and now you can call for it. Amen. And then we got to learn to speak to it as if it already exists. God who calls, he claims, he names and claims, calls into existence that which did not exist before. So in other words, it may not exist here in the natural, but it exists in the spirit in you and it's being cultivated on the inside of you. And until you have the guts to begin to speak it out and declare it and share it and name it and claim it, you can't have it. I wonder if we got some gutsy people in the house this afternoon that are going to write down your dream and begin to call it like you can call your dog and your dog will come. I wish I could get two believers in the house to shout about your dream. Come on. How many have a dream, by the way? Let me see your hand waving at me real big. If you don't have one, I got a big one. I'll share it with you. A desire, in other words, something that you want to see fulfilled in your life, that's the thing you name. All right, now, do, do your words, does your attitude, does your behavior, does your actions line up with the dream that is inside of you? Or is it just some ethereal thing that makes you feel good every so often when you think about it, but you've really not organized your thoughts about it? You've not organized your words. You're not speaking it. You've not organized your, your behavior around it. Now, behavior is a whole other subject altogether because it has to do with character, but also your actions. So your behavior and your actions have to follow uh, and line up to what your dream really is. And the truth of the matter is, I personally believe it always starts first with the words. Now, I've learned this in life over 22 years being here, but also over 30 years of being in ministry. I can tell you this. I can tell you that I can learn about people pretty quick. 
people usually begin to talk to you and you pretty much find out where they're at in life. And then you say they got this big dream, but I didn't hear about the dream. I didn't hear about anything positive. All I heard about everything coming out of your mouth was negative and how bad life is and how bad this is and how bad the economy is and everybody treats me bad at work and all that stuff. And I hear it, I go online and I'm not an online guy, but I'll see the first two or three posts. You know how you do? And if it's my people, I'll read them sometimes. Sometimes I wished I would not have read them. Because I said, you've been with me for a decade and you ain't learned squat. You still talk and look and think like the world. I love you, I wanna help you, but church ain't a place you come to feel good. It's a place where it transforms your thinking and your life. So God uses words. God uses words which are spiritual things. Why? Because you can't see them. I'm talking right now. You don't see the little cartoon bubble, do you? With the words coming out of my mouth, you don't see that. They're spiritual. You hear them. They make differences. They affect us. They open doors. They close doors. They connect us or connect us or disconnect us. They bless us or they curse us. Amen. We got Christians who are blessed that curse. I think you know what I'm talking about there. And so, and so God uses these spiritual things called words to begin to move and change. Um, I'm looking for a different word, but anyways, to move and to transform change the physical things that are around you that can be seen. So God uses what can't be seen to change what can be seen. So you see the God in it. The God is in it. Animals don't do this, y'all. Animals can't do this because they're not made in the image of God. They're God's creation. He loves them. We should love animals, take care of animals. We like to eat them too sometimes. Hallelujah. I'll be eating some animal tomorrow. Amen. And I enjoy it. And, and, you know, we had dominion over that, but they become our pets too. We, and so my point is, is I believe they have a soul. I, I believe that they're, they're, they have emotion. I believe that, but on a limited basis, but they cannot communicate. They can't speak things into existence. They can't change. A dog has never, ever made a city. It's never ran for mayor. Come on, someone say amen. It's never affected change in the world. So only you and I do that because we're made in the image of God. So God takes these spiritual things called words to create or to recreate physical things that can be seen. So what was not can be. I'm preaching better than y'all are talking to me back here, but I think you're so, it's soaking in. What was not can be. So the more you talk like the world, expect more of the world's fruit to come into your life. But the more I talk like the kingdom of God and what God expects of my life, the more I get to receive the kingdom fruit of my life. Why? Because words bring to me things that never existed before. When I put a name to it, whether it be negative name or positive name, I'm calling those things that be not as though they were into my life. Statement. Your mouth is like a manufacturing plant producing the words you say. Every single day of your life, every moment that you open up your mouth, the good news is we can repent and we can cancel out the words. Thank God. Sometimes I'll be speaking. Oh, my God, that was terrible. Father, forgive me. I'm sorry about it. I cancel those words in the name of Jesus. I, I don't do it because I'm, I'm, I'm superstitious. I do it because I actually believe my words create. Okay? 
So it's going to be negative or it's going to be positive. It's going to be evil or it's going to be good in my life. It's going to be blessing or it's going to be cursing. You can speak both. The Bible says you can. So your mouth, let me say it again. Your mouth is like a manufacturing plant producing what your words say. So when you go around saying, I'm just so tired. Do you think that's going to give you a pick me up? Do you think you're going to get out, snap out of it and have a bunch of energy after saying that kind of stuff? Well, I'm just being truthful, man. I'm just trying to be me. That's the problem. You should be trying to be you. You should be trying to be Christ-like. He followed what God said. He followed what the Word said. Amen. I'm just so tired. We'll expect more weariness to come into your life. Well, I, I'm just, I'd like to go, but I'm broke. Pastor, I'm just saying the truth. I'm broke. I know you're just saying the, you're not saying the truth. You're saying the facts. And the truth is that the Bible says he takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. That's the truth that overrides the fact that I'm broke. But the more that I say I'm broke, guess what happens? More poverty comes into my life. More brokenness comes into my life. I'm not going to go to the movies with my friends. I'm not going to be able to go get my, I would like to go get some uh, new outfit, but I can't do that right now because I got to pay these bills and I don't have the money to pay these bills. And I got more month than I got paycheck and I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just broke as a joke. Well, okay. Okay. Be careful when you talk like that because you're allowing a poverty spirit to come upon you. Uh, I'm just so sick of this. Sick of it. Now watch it. It sounds like so trivial. But I believe you just said, I'm sick of this. So everything that comes in your life that you don't like, you get sick. Whether it be emotional sickness, uh, mental sickness, or physical sickness. It's like, you. why am I always catching the cold every time it comes around? I'm taking all my C's and D's and Zinc's. I'm doing everything I can do over here, drinking more orange juice. And I, I, I'm just like, what am I? Because you're, watch what's coming out of your mouth. Right? Or how about this? I'm dealing with miasma. Since when did you supposed to take, that was terrible English. <laughs> when did you supposed to take ownership of asthma? My asthma. Mine. See how we talk? Uh, this, this, I got, uh, you know, I'm just dealing with uh, my hay or my allergies. My allergies. I'm, I'm talking to you now. Some of you is the first time you've ever heard me talk like this, especially those that are watching me, I'm sure. But, but, but we take ownership of stuff we shouldn't. Well, I need medication for my diabetes. Uh, I'm receiving treatment for my cancer. You see how easy we slip into how the world talks and we take ownership of things we shouldn't take ownership of. But you can take, you don't have to say, well, you don't have to tell a lie. You need medication for the diabetes. You are dealing with the asthma. You are getting treatment for the cancer. I'm not saying lie. I'm just not, you don't have to receive the, you don't have to receive it as if it's mine now. It's foreign in me. It's not mine. Get out of my body. In the name of Jesus. And so when we talk about our dreams, 
We're the first one to talk badly about it. I'll never be able to accomplish that. I'm just not qualified. I wish I was as smart as so-and-so. They really got it together. You know, if I had some capital, but I don't have, who's going to invest in me? You know, I'd like to be married, but I'm telling you, I've been, you know, I've had two abortions and I've, I've just, I got three kids and I mean, no one's wants, I'm tainted goods or, or I'd like to get married to a female, but I don't have a good enough job to take care of her right now. And you're just constantly, you have dreams. God's given you a dream, but you're constantly speaking the wrong words and those words have life and that that words of life can bring death if it's the wrong words it's like seeds being planted the bible says into soil it will bring up and produce a harvest what kind of harvest do you want today i'm giving you i believe some principles of how to resuscitate your dreams i believe a lot of people have got them and they're just not fulfilling them and it's time for them to come back i want to say this your future is more dependent on what you have to say about it than more dependent upon anybody else. I'll say this to you. I don't mean to be rude to anyone, but I'm going to say is who cares about anybody else's opinion about what God's told you? I always look for this. When I've heard the Lord, it says confer with flesh and blood no more. But the Bible also says submit to those who are over you in the Lord. So I, I would say this. Once you've heard the Lord, if you have somebody you can trust that has been a, you know, somebody that's been a prayer warrior with you or a pastor or an elder in the church, go to them and say, hey, this is what the Lord has given me. And the, our pastors and elders will never tell you that's terrible unless they just feel it might, might bring you harm. They may warn you. But at the same point, it's like we want to encourage you and we'll pray together to see if this is really the will of the Lord for your life. But, but the point I'm trying to make is don't let anybody drag you down and say that it cannot be done. There's a lot of things in my life that was told to me that I cannot do that I've already done or am currently doing. So I already know that's not true. If God before you, who can be against you? And if a parent ever told you or somebody of authority that you loved, a spouse even, that has said these things that, that are ugly, that are e of an evil report. Uh, be very careful. Uh, they're, they're not the last say. They're not the final say. They don't get that edge in your life. A parent that has told you, a parent that may have told you your kid, you're, you're, you'll never amount to nothing. Look at you. You're always doing bad. Or they'll, they'll say things, you're, you're stupid. You stupid idiot. You know, parents say things. I, I promise sometimes they look back and probably think they wish they never would have done, but they did it and you were susceptible to it. And that thing now is inside. I, I, and and now, now that uh, stupid, you're dumb, you're ugly, you'll never amount to nothing. You know, you never become the, all those things. Now what happens is you think that you rise above it. They say sticks and stones may break my bones. But words will never hurt me. That's a lie. That's not true. Words hurt. Words go deep. Words can change. Words can change. If, they let, if you let the words go in from people of evil malice in their heart to you, it goes in you and it can change the identity of who you were called to be. So every time you step to the plate after a message like today and your faith gets out there, I'm going to step out in faith and do something. The problem isn't anybody else around you. It's that little voice you heard when you were much younger that's still inside of you. And now there's an inner dialogue on the inside of you that says, yeah, I better not try. You know, I've never been able to do that in the past. You know, I'm just stupid. You start looking at everybody. And by the way, comparison 
When you compare yourself to somebody else, you know, if I just had what they had, if I just was as smart as them, if I was just as attractive as them, if I just had the color skin they had, if I just had the right amount of bank money in the bank that they've got, then my life would be different. Compare is sin. Compare is sin. God made you unique the way you're supposed to be. And you've got to learn to change the inner dialogue. How do you do that? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When you get the word of God inside of you, you know your identity, who you are in Christ. Now it's unshakable and it changes you, which changes your words because out of the abundance of the heart, what's inside of you, come on, comes out your mouth. And when it comes out your mouth, it brings direction, redirection, arrangement, rearrangement in your life. Is this good teaching today? So again, your future cannot be determined by anybody but, but you. And it's called the law of confession. It's a law. Let me make this statement. When you speak to your future or your dream, you are breathing the breath of life into it. Your dream in here doesn't come alive out here until you speak it. And you talk about it even at the risk of being embarrassed by other people because you know they're going to look at you and see your past and want to remind you of what you've already done wrong. Want to remind you that you, you, you broke like them. Amen. Want to remind you that you didn't go to college for that. I want to remind you you're not good enough. So, and they may never say it, but that inner dialogue is determined that that's what they're thinking about it. So now I'm living my life based on what they think rather than what God has said. I hope this is sinking in today. But, 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 but my, I got to get over that because if I don't learn to speak it like it lives, like it's actually alive, like it's actually happening, even though I can't prove it yet, but I know it's going to happen because it's living inside of me, then it can't live because when I speak, I'm breathing life into the dream so it can come into existence. Remember, um, I don't want to get too far in the weeds with this, but I, I do want to say a couple of things about it. And that is that, remember, in the beginning, we're made like God in the image of God and so on and so forth. And we're to rule and reign as God did. Now, we, don't, we could have never had that unless that was a dream of God. It was in God. It never existed. Man did not exist. Earth did not exist. So it was the dream of God. And the way he delivered it was he spoke it. He said, he said, uh, he said light be. And he talked, he, every, everything God created, it says, and God said, and God said, and God, that's Genesis chapter one. He spoke, he spoke, he spoke, he spoke. And it came into existence. Well, he made man with his hands out of the, out of the, out of the dust of the ground, the Bible says. He formed man, but man was just a dream laying there. It wasn't alive yet until God said what does he do? He spoke to the man. And he said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Replenish it. Take dominion over the fish, the sea, of the birds, the air, the fowl. Everything creeps upon the earth. And you have dominion and, and, and like, or have authority and dominion as I do on the earth. As I do in heaven, you will have on earth. He speaks it. And what does the Bible say next? He blew or he breathed into man the breath of life. Now you can say what you want, but every time I speak, 
Everybody say hallelujah. hallelujah. Now say halitosis. Get a tic-tac. Praise God. Why? Because your breath. When you speak, your breath leaves you. Y'all, hang with me. When you resuscitate somebody who has passed out or they're, or they're dying or whatever, what are you going to do? you got to breathe the breath of life to open their lungs. Come on, somebody. So they can live again. So when God spoke, he was breathing the breath of life over man and his dream became a reality. And you were made in the image of God. So it shouldn't be too far-fetched for us to understand that when we speak, we bring things to life which never existed before. So why can't you do that concerning your dream? Elijah was taken by God to a, a mountaintop and he overlooked this valley. It was called the Valley of Dry Bones. And, you know, it was in the desert and there was, you know, that, you, you, if you see these bones, it's like, it's just white. There ain't no meat, there ain't nothing. It's just, you know, it's, it's just gone. It's just skeletons bleached by the sun. And he saw thousands of them. And God asked a question. Can these bones live? Can your dream live? It looks like it's dry out there, man. It looks like there ain't no meat left on them bones. It, it looks like there's nothing there. I mean, it's worse than death. There's not even a, a, a probability. You can't resuscitate that. There's nothing there. It's gone. It's gone, 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 right? And so he said, can these bones live? He said, well, you know God. He puts it, I don't know. I'm, I'm, my faith ain't there. You know God. He said, now, then... God says, I believe they can. He said, now then, prophesy. Speak to these bones and command them to live. And he prophesied. And God sent the winds from the four corners of the earth. The Bible says, and God breathed upon them. And those men came together, they were all soldiers, and their body and sinew, and they were, you know, it would be like a movie watching things come together and veins forming and just things and muscle and all of a sudden and eyes peering into the, I mean, the skin beginning to develop. And now we got these men, and they stand up. The Bible says an exceeding mighty army. I mean, they go from death, nothing, to one man. One man who speaks and commands them to live. And thousands of men stand up prepared for battle. And you don't think one person like you, and I know you can find somebody in agreement, at least one more, can pray and see the dream that God gave you come to pass. You see, there are businesses inside of you that have not been started. You're supposed to start 10 years ago. But I believe God will excel the time. I believe God will excel this time. And if we'll be obedient, it's like a grace, I believe, that's come upon us. But my point to you is this. 
I believe it can live. There's something supernatural that happens with your confession when it's appropriately placed with something called the law of agreement. And I see I'm almost out of time. So let me go through this. Matthew 18, 19, Jesus said, again, I say to you that if two of you agree, I gotta have some agreement on earth concerning anything that they ask. What's anything? That's anything. It will be what? So if I get agreement and I speak, ask, it will be what? Done for them by my Father in heaven. Okay? I need to find agreement. I know that in this life, I need more than just me for things to come to pass for me. I have to have something. And that's what I'm here to tell you. That's why the church is so important. That's why Christians right now need to get back to the house of God because they're out there by themselves. And thank God you're here, but there are so many more that are not. And, and the truth of the matter is, it's because they're afraid the devil put fear in them. And if I'm the devil, I would milk that puppy for all it's got to keep them from connecting and coming to in the power of agreement with other believers. The church was designed for people to come together and to agree. Now, you need to do better than that or they won't believe you. Come on, clap about it. Clap, come on, clap, clap, clap. So we need that to happen. We need the church to come back together. Genesis 11, 1 says this, now the whole earth had one language and one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the, the, the east that they, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there, and they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar, and they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, let us be scattered, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the earth. Uh, but the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. Now, there are two major things that the people of Babylon had going for them during this time, even though their intention was not of God. Now, they were doing do something, a feat that had never been done before, building a city that had never been done before and also building a tower that reached the heaven. So they're going to build the first skyscraper. The world had never seen anything like that, right? So they have two things going for them, even though God didn't want this to happen. Number one is they have the law of confession. They're speaking the vision. They're speaking the dream. And number two, they had the law of agreement. They're all with one accord, the Bible says, and they all spoke the same thing. Okay, are you, are you following me? So they, they, in other words, it became impossible to stop them in the natural. They became impossible to stop in the natural. Now, a law, we're talking about the law of agreement, the law of confession. Law in the Webster Dictionary defines this as a law is that which is laid, set, or fixed. A principle based on predictable consequences of an act. So it's the law of gravity. We call it the law of gravity because it's predictable. If, we, if I jump off the platform, I hit the ground hard. Why? Because it's the law of gravity. And guess what? It, it's, not, it's, it's, not, uh, it's not predictive of just me. Anybody in the building can do the exact same thing because the law doesn't change. So a law is something that is predictable of a, of a consequence. It doesn't change no matter what. The law of confession and the law of agreement work the same way. It doesn't matter if it's good, evil. doesn't matter if it's uh, Christians or non-believers. It works the exact same. How do we get that? Mark eleven twenty three 23 says this. Jesus said, for surely I say to you, whoever. Everybody say whoever. whoever. Who's whoever? 
Whoever, right, says to this mountain, be removed, be cast in seed, does not doubt in his heart, but believes that the things that he says will be done, he'll have whatever he says. So that lets me know that successful people, um, even non-believers, succeed all the time doing this. In other words, it doesn't mean it's just for Christians. It's for anybody who works the law. It's the same way. It's a law. We live in a culture where, where we're starting to see this played out even more and more. And why did God establish this as a law for everybody to use? Why? Because the main reason, there's one main reason, is found in Romans chapter 10, 10. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made into salvation. All right? So here's the, here, here's the rub. Church, you can't be saved without the law of confession. So God made it possible that anybody that believes in their heart, what the world can't see, but they believe in their heart, and they speak it out of their mouth, they shall be saved. The proof of your salvation will be in your mouth. When you're saved, you talk saved. When you're born again, you talk born again. If you love God, you talk like you love God. I just heard a lot of people's feelings right there because y'all been, I've been doing, you're not talking like that. Well, you're probably backslidden. What do you look at me like that for? I'm just telling you what you are. You're just backslidden. So get it right. Get back. Believe it again. Get it back in your spirit. Get it. Repent it out. I'm sorry, God. I, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but I am telling you this. When I first came back to the Lord in 1989, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I was so saved. I couldn't. It came out everywhere I went. I'm talking about Jesus. I'm talking about God. I'm talking about the Bible. I, I, I told all my friends, sat them all down one by one, told them I was saved. I believe they could get saved too. Try to lead them to the Lord. But most didn't get saved. Hallelujah. They got a little mad at me. They thought I was a little bit arrogant, whatever. But I had to understand that. They weren't persecuting me. They said, Jesus said, they hate you. It's not you. They hate, they hate me. So I, he's being persecuted, not me. But the thing is, I'm trying to tell you, is what's in you comes out of you. Amen. Same is true over your circumstances. The proof of your salvation is in your mouth. So not just your born-again experience, but if you need to be saved from your finances, saved from a sickness and disease, saved from not having a job, or saved from a relationship situation, whatever it may be, the proof will come. Salvation and confession is made to salvation. David faces Goliath. He sees Goliath. No one can take him out. I don't, don't, y'all scholars already know the story, so let me just say this. He gets down there. They try to put him an armor on him and a sword. He can't do it. He says, give me my five smooth stones. I'll kill the lion, the bear. I'll take the Goliath out. No problem. But the first thing he does, what does he do? He speaks to Goliath. What does he say? What he, his desired intention was. This day, the Lord has put you into my hand. This day, I'm going to kill you. Take off your head and feed your body to the fowls of the air. Did he do it? He sure did with one stone, didn't need five, took him out, then took his, uh, Goliath's own sword and chopped that boy's head right off. He spoke into existence that which did not exist before. In closing, the people of Babel were working the law of confession and the law of agreement. And look what it says in Genesis eleven six, And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one. They're in agreement. 
and they all have one language. They're speaking the same thing, confession. And this is what they begin to do. And now, watch this, God says this, nothing that they propose, that word means purpose, nothing that they propose or purpose to do will be withheld from them. He knew it. God knew if I don't stop it, nobody can. Because they're operating the laws that I placed in the earth and it will be done just as they have said because they're speaking it and they're all in agreement to do it. Come, let us go down and they're confused their confession that they may not understand one another's confession. And then they broke up the power of agreement. Just think of the potential that we, this church, could have if we agreed in the dream that God gave us for the city and started giving a voice every single day. This Thursday night is prayer night and I'm calling for all the saints to pray and to come out with us at seven o'clock. Wear your masks. You know, even pick and save got more faith than most church people. I walked into money and said, hey, half the people ain't got their masks on. I was like, bing, put in my pocket. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to wear one. I'm not, that's not, I never have that. Guys, I'm, I'm not in the argument. I'm not in the politics of it. That's not my deal. But I'm just saying that I think people should have a right to choose. Government should not be mandating to us to tell us how we're to live our lives when I don't trust more than half of them anyways. Now, Fauci, Fauci what's his name? He got problems. And I don't even watch the news. It just comes up in my feed sometimes. I'm like, oh, dear God. Oh, oh, he'd be fine. Oh, whatever. But who do we trust? I, we, at some point, guys, I'm not putting my trust in man. I put my trust in God. And I'm going to walk in faith. And the people that are risk more are people that are over the age of 65. And I saw there wasn't one old person. In that store, they had a mask on. They're so sick and tired of it, they can't see straight. And, and they ain't saved, most of them. I'm thinking the body of Christ keeps using this as an excuse. It's just not right. I'm calling you out to pray. Come with your mask. You can still social distance if you, if you feel the need to. No one's going to bother you about that. But let's pray together. Amen. Let's come back. Uh, social media. You can also be in agreement in social media. Where are you, Thursday night crowd? You know, it's been like four, five, six weeks and my numbers have just dropped. Everybody getting too busy. I'm over here and I'm putting lessons together and, 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 and I'm like, where is everybody at? Well, it catches up at the end of the week. I don't care about catching up at the end of the week. Where are my live audience at? What does it say to the world when we can't come into agreement? 159, 160 people on Thursday night. That's just ridiculous. When we first started the thing, we had like six, 700 people on, on Thursday night because the pandemic was going, what's he going to say about it? Oh my God. But then when kind of life chills out a little bit, yeah, now I get it when I get it. Where's our agreement? Where's our passion? TNL, Thursday nights, get your word. And then don't even get, get there, figure out, I know some of you are not savvy, but figure out a way where you can actually comment. Praise the Lord. Good word. I like this. Whatever you want to share. Uh, hands up. Why? Be- and then like and share it. Like and share. Like and share. Like you think I'm saying that because I want to say it? Why do I do that? Because there's an algorithm. And we're fighting against Facebook here. 
And if there's not enough comments and there's not enough likes and, and shares, you might be amen at home, but we don't hear it. They don't hear it. It don't go out. People don't know you're there. I thought we were called to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. What's going to happen when I say, hey, everybody, Saturday morning, we're going to knock on doors and talk about Jesus. You're going, oh, my God. Don't make me do it. I'm scared. These people risked their lives every single day to be stoned to death, jailed, imprisoned, taken from their families, burned alive. You name it. Pulled apart by horses. And we, we can't even like and share on Facebook because we might, people might know that we actually love Jesus. Or maybe you don't like me that much. You're like, well, he's too controversial. I don't know what it is. But we should have agreement here. And you that are watching me, you have the convenience of sitting at home. I love you so very much. This is what we did. It. We bought this all the equipment for you. We're grateful you're watching, but we need you to like and share this stuff. Get it out there. Let people know that this is what you believe in and you're excited about it. And by the way, I want to say this in closing. I love this city. Not one amen. I love Milwaukee. I love my city. And I know it's got problems. But I heard someone say, I, I can't wait to get out of the city. I want to say, get out. Go. We need the space. You complainer. That's all you do. You ain't got no guts to leave. You ain't got no money to leave. You ain't got no guts to leave. But you talk about how bad the city is. As if you went somewhere else and it's going to be better. You know why? Because you take you wherever you go. And your little negative self going to go to San Diego. Ooh, it's nice weather all the time. I'm going to be on the beach. You're going to be having some job, like every, every job you ever had before, and just at same friends, same neighborhood, ain't got no time to go to the beach. And you're still going to be your little negative Nancy self. Because it's got to change inside here. Can your dream live well is determinant upon is that a word it's determined on you do you believe it can do you speak like it is your attitude and behavior and words and actions line up to what the dream is I have so much more I want to say but I'm going to leave it this church is called faith builders for a reason because we did everything by faith. We didn't have a lot of money, didn't have a lot of people, nothing like that, didn't have a building. But I had a dream. And I knew one of the ways to do it that God would use the, this dream to come to pass was a part of my gifting. A part of my gifting, which I've had all my life, but I never really realized it to actually until I got into church, was um, plays and productions, writing them and directing them. And, and then we found one, we came across one of our good friend Steve Muncy called Heartbreak Hotel. And I went and saw it. And he has a 2,500-seat auditorium. He can drive cars on his platform, motorcycles, horses. And I'm renting this little, little bitty dinky theater on KK in a school called Deer Creek Elementary where the chairs were so short to the ground that your knees were up to your chest. But that's what we could afford. That's what we could do. And I came back and I said, we're going to do Heartbreak Hotel. And when I showed the people the video, you should have saw their faces. They, I thought they were going to be excited. They were freaking out like, have you really lost your mind? 
because like we don't, there's a guy swinging from the rafters. There's a, it's, it's, it was, um, it's a, for those that don't know, Heartbreak Hotel was a production. On one side, we built a, 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 a hotel that said Heartbreak on it, and the other one, Hotel Hallelujah. And so we had secular acts, lookalikes, that would come out, singers, and then we had Christian acts that would come out. And then we depicted the devil and uh, how he deceives the, the secular people and how he's trying to deceive them to bring him into a Heartbreak Hotel. And it was a, like a Las Vegas-style production. But I had a dream. And so, man, I, I'm not going to go into all the detail, but I would tell you one miracle after the other to finance this thing came to part, came to be. And even down the borrowing lights, we got a DJ in town. It was, yeah, I'll let you borrow my lights and, and sound system. And, 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 and every, we had like 35 people in our congregation. Every single one of them were in it. Some were doing double acts. It was amazing. We had their friends. Hey, you got a friend that looks like so-and-so. Okay, bring him on by. That guy looks like Prince. We're going to have him. You know, that kind of stuff. And so, and, and, and probably, I'm not kidding you, 10% of them probably didn't even know Jesus. It was an amazing thing because we had 200 people that came to the Lord in that very first production. Out of the 3,500 members, 200 people came to Jesus. Now watch this. And every, every single night, we do a performance. We have an altar call. And next thing you know, people that were the acts on, because we had all the act on top of, the, you know, they were all up here doing an encore. Not, not encore, but what do they call it? Curtain call? Curtain call. And so all the acts were on the platform. Next thing you know, there's <laughs> the, the people that were actually ministering would start crying, go down and answer the altar call from the platform. And every one of them gave their hearts to Jesus Christ. Bill and Janet, our, our elders in our ministry today, they came because they heard about Heartbreak Hotel. Is that where you guys came back to Lord? Is that they came back to Lord at Heartbreak Hotel and they've been serving in the ministry ever since? Don't tell me it doesn't work. It works. But it was a dream. I had to speak it, had the guts to see, put a name on it, call it out, and then start working it like it already existed. So God will use, you gotta speak it, declare it, come into agreement with it. Amen and then see it out as if it exists. Oh, I was saying that we were, like, we were acting like we were the big time. And we, we had never done anything like that before in our lives. I had in another church, but the church had never seen anything like this, so they had to come into agreement with that. And so an amazing, amazing experience and expression that the Lord used. And he'll do the same thing in your life as well. Did you all enjoy the word? Hope you did. I thought it was good. Strong. <laughs>